0: We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world, an obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin of The Answer San Diego.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, and we have got to get to it today. What you need to know, a big one, a big one. Out of Colorado comes news that the Colorado Supreme Court has said as to the primary, the Colorado primary, uh, Donald Trump's name may not appear because he is barred from being on the Colorado court, uh, excuse me, the Colorado state ballot, because the Colorado state Supreme Court says that the federal constitution bars him from being there under the 14th Amendment. This is nonsense. This is nonsensical. And the court, which is made up of... um uh, made up of seven members, excuse um, it, seven or nine? Is it seven or nine? But whatever it is, it was a, a split decision, and the and the uh, and the court made up of all Democrats uh, was not was uh, split, and a bunch of the Democrats said, y- you know, you ca- you can't do this, and unfortunately they were outvoted. I think it was four to three. I'll have to make sure. I apologize. Um, and uh, and there's a lot of attention on the schools that they came from. Both, yeah, four to three. So there's seven members of the Colorado Supreme Court. By a four to three margin, they split. And three of them said, you can't do this. It's not our job. You're not supposed to do it. The four said, we don't care. We're doing it anyway. We're going against the Constitution. We're going to make law. We're going to be the ones in charge. We're going to be the heroes. We're going to be political operatives. And but they're not even that confident. So what they did was at the end of it, they said, yeah, we mean it. But we're going to stay it. In other words, we're going to let the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court, get to it. So we're not going to actually make it a valid at all. We're going to make it invalid until the Supreme Court rules, which they will have to do. But here's what you need to know. There has been lots of analyses about how bad the decision is. You know, you're basically relying on the Colorado Supreme Court saying that they think Donald Trump was part of an insurrection. that he is an insurrectionist. You have the Colorado Supreme Court saying in the opinion, stating in the opinion that when Donald Trump said, you know, please proceed peacefully, he didn't really mean it. All that stuff's been covered. Who these people are and all. What I want to tell you is this. What you need to know is this. The degradation of our legal system now, we, we're we reaching not just a new low. We're reaching a totally different point. And the point is, 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 is where. There's not enough people there. There are not enough people who are are actually going to hold us, hold the situation and make sure that people. In the law are doing the right things, they're just going to let anything go. And by that, I mean, it, it used to be that there was pressure, positive peer pressure from being a part of the legal community. They would hold you from doing crazy things. If you did crazy things outside the box, you would be sort of ostracized, not sort of, you would be ostracized. And so in this case, for example, it's such not just political activism, it's just bad law and bad lawyering. And yet there's too much, way too much silence among the legal profession. So what does that mean? Well, the problem is what it means is this. Our America is not based on one lineage. I mean there are people that came over in the Mayflower, there are people that came over to Jamestown, there are people that were in this or that family that came here. There it's not based on wealth only. There are families that were wealthy, the Rockefellers or whatever you could pay. And but none of those things are the defining defining characteristics of America. There's no crown that's passed down from king to king. There's no lineage that's cited. None of that matters. What matters in America? Well, it's our capitalist free market system. That's true. But what does that rely on? Well, that actually relies, and very importantly, and all of it relies. Our property rights, our freedoms, our ability to communicate, to create patent rights, copyrights. Did I say copyrights? All these things rely on what? The Constitution and the rule of law, and a set of values that respect those. That's important. It's Christian in its origins, it's Judeo Christian in its larger scale origins, if you want, but it's a it's a notion that truth and honor and justice matter, that the human person is worthy of respect, etc. And you can see it in our founding documents fundamentally. And especially in the Constitution, we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal in unalienable rights, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, structures that limit power, that protect majorities, protect minorities from majorities, the tyranny of the majority. All these things are present in our in our Constitution, our rule of law and our founding documents. And therefore, and our and our values that knit us together. That's what is America's greatness. What we're seeing right now. Is the assault. At the very core, it's an assault on the very core of America. On the very core of who we are. Of what we're about. And it's not simply lawfare. Now. It's lawfare. It's occurring. It's occurring. It's, you know, weapon, excuse me, weaponization of 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 government against people, all those things. But now the system is breaking down the system that had as part of its self-policing mechanism, a a class of people, not a ruling class, not a special class in terms of status or wealth automatically. Although certainly you did have more status if you were a lawyer, you did generally had more wealth if you worked hard. But none of those things were automatic based on being a member of the bar. But they were. There was a value in it. There was a sense in it. And you can say, well, what, where did this start? You can did you want to criticize the the legal system? Did it get did it get more complicated when they started law schools? You know, before nineteen sixty 1960 or nineteen sixty three or whenever you didn't go to law school for three years, you went to studied pre law, and then you went to work for lawyers, and you it was a sort of a different field to go into than this idea of graduate school. And then maybe that's what caused it. Lots of money spent on graduate school classes of people who were law professors. Is it when the administrative state grew, and so we needed more lawyers, and we ended up with administrative lawyers, administrative law judges, bureauc- bureaucratic judges. There's a famous speech that the late uh, Chief Justice Rehnquist gave in Russia, in the Soviet Union at the time, I think, where he said, in the Soviet Union, you have to pick. You need to be a practicing lawyer, you know, like we know it, or be in the bureaucratic class, the sort of ma- uh, magistrate class, judges and 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 arbiters of, of decision-making. And he said, we don't want that. We're America. Our system is based on broadly on these lawyers being a part of it, not specialized class. It changed whatever. Is it when the plaintiff's bar figured out that you could get you could extract large payments from uh, from either the government or from insurance companies from individuals by by sort of manipulating the system? Is that what it was? Is it when the criminal code and Joe Biden used it to penalize uh, drug dealers in a way that was, uh, you know, looking back more draconian than effective? Whatever it is, here we are. And they're not just messing with jury verdicts and not just messing with uh, um, I hate to say it with um, uh, people's lives, putting them in jail for long times, long periods of time. No, now they're messing with the actual structure of America, the American Republic, putting people, putting uh, 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 the system and the the uh, the vote of the people. Into a a, a a measurement, into a into a decision making uh, uh, set because they know better that there are people in Colorado, four members of the Colorado Supreme Court, that tr- facts be damned, law be damned. We're going to come up with this decision because we want to further that truth. And we're just going to do it. And it's an extraordinary moment in history, in the history of America, in the history of of Western, uh, the Western world, nation states. It's what you need to know is it's a dangerous time. It's a dangerous time. And, you know, when when RFK Jr. says, for example, that if they if they try to keep uh, the people from voting for the candidate they want, in this case, Trump, that America would become, he said, ungovernable, ungovernable. That's what he said. RFK Jr. It's a knife's edge. And I have to say, of all the things about it that make me disturbed, the most disturbing is the silence of the lawyers, the silence of the lawyers, that the legal community is not rising up to say, no, 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 we're not going to tolerate this. It doesn't feel like they understand the moment we're in or to say it differently. It feels like that if they do understand, it's because they're holding back because they're afraid of what's happened. They're afraid of what they've seen. They're afraid of what could happen. They're afraid of what could be done. It is truly, truly a threat to the future of our republic. That's what you need to know. That's what you need to know. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. Don't forget visit ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for my uh, Substack sub there. I write at length uh, write lengthier pieces there. And also visit PhyllisSchlafly.com. get on our email list for the daily wink, the daily email that comes to you. We'll be right back. I'll be right ra- I will be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest has been with uh, with us before. Uh, Robert Bordens is the CEO and uh, has been an outspoken leader. He's CEO of Classical Conversation, sorry. An outspoken leader in, uh, in communicating how homeschool can be effective, why it works, what's happening, and also what's going on in our schools. So welcome
2: back, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing fine. You know, I I thought of you because I knew I'd be talking to you earlier in the week. I had a friend, a a new friend tell me that um, he experienced a um, he's in retail and he said his best workers are homeschoolers. And there are a couple of reasons. One, he said they generally want to work. Um, they're not just told by their parents, you know, go work. They're sort of motivated, self-motivated, which makes sense to me. The other thing he said was um, he has a retail business and he could get young people, high school and uh, I guess junior and senior in high school. And they would be able, because of their lifestyle, to work sometimes, you know, two or three times a week during the week. You know, that they could. Um, this guy was at a, a, a supermarket type place and and he did it was just it was really a pleasant uh thing is that a piece of that i never thought of it before uh robert is that a part of of um of life for homeschoolers
2: yeah absolutely one of the best things about homeschooling is the flexibility you're not a slave to someone else's calendar and And one of the big reasons that I was successful was in high school. I knew I wanted to be an engineer, and I was actually able to get an internship with an engineering company. It was about 12 guys, and they worked with Fortune 500 companies. And uh, once a week during the school year, I would work full-time, you know, eight-hour days. And uh, during the summer, I would work 40-hour weeks with them. So by the time I had graduated high school, I had almost a full year of actual engineering work under my belt as I headed to college. So uh, homeschoolers are doing that. We're not meant to sit in cubicles eight hours a day. Of course, everyone's trying to get out of the rat race. And why do we put our kids in institutions that uh, mimic that uh, drudgery? You know I you know I, I have to say I, I, I'm sorry to admit
1: you know and I, you and I've talked about it before again our guest is Robert Bordens and his website is classicalconversations.com, com where you can see uh, the many programs for homeschoolers that they have available from uh, the earliest one I think is called foundations for ages four and up and then all the way through uh, high school and and uh, lots of ideas even on college credits and um, and Robert, I never thought of it before I mean as I've talked to you before my out of my family life for lots of reasons it was not something That we did for our kids and then my upbringing, but I've I've had such a good experience of of being around people who uh, both utilize homeschooling and have are advocates for it. But I think that's a big selling point because you know one of the things that's happening with the technology is. you know, we talk about maybe some people are called to different jobs. Right. And there's this don't go to college, go to trade school or choose, or or decide for yourself. That's a really interesting selling point um, to people that, you know, you, you're you're not going to be I know not to be a slave to the calendar, but also you're going to have the ability to have these experiences. I, I I don't know if it's highly understood. Seems to me to be really valuable.
2: Yeah, 100 percent. I know almost all homeschool kids go get jobs, not just not that there's anything wrong with bagging groceries. I mean, I'm 100 percent for people who are able to do that. But a lot of times they're able to go find mentors in the fields they plan to pursue uh, later in life and uh, or go work, you know, for construction or learn something that's going to be valuable for them uh, in no, no matter what field uh, of interest they choose to pursue. So the flexibility makes it so that entrepreneurs and small business owners are definitely more likely to, um, you know, go after these students and the students don't have to get hundreds of thousands of dollars in college debt to find out they don't want to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, they might go to trade school. They might go to community college or go into the mission field or go straight into starting a business because they have haven't been confined by the world's ways for 12 years. You know, they've always had an opportunity to think outside the box because you're forced to as a homeschooler. Uh, Robert
1: Bortons, again, is our guest. He's a CEO of uh, Classical Conversations. Uh, if you go to classicalconversations.com, you can see many of the resources there, as well as a blog. And uh, and you can get in touch, uh, responsive, uh, bookstore, all kinds of things. Um, and by the way, in defense of baggers, my first job was uh, bagging in a grocery store. And I worked my way all the way up, in, all through high school and college. And every time I came home, I was there. And by the time I was done, I was, a, I don't know, assistant manager. And it was, as you just described, a great – I'd ended up with some great – Mentor, so I'm just in defense of baggers. Uh, although I don't think they let you bag anymore. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> Robert, Robert, how's how does the how does a scandal like what happened with the anti-Semitism? First of all, how do you react to? it? I mean, one of the things I one of the things I like about having you on is you talk. I know you, your your mother was big into this field. You you come at it as a product as well as as a promoter, and you've got a certain peacefulness about you. You're not, you know, you're not um, you're not screaming and yelling like sometimes people are in in the in the on the conservative side of the aisle of things. But when you see the antisemitism in in college, when you see the sort of brokenness of the Harvard and Penn and MIT uh, presidents and and all that roils around what what's what how do you react and then what do you think about how you say to people you see what you're you're risking here
2: yeah well when you when our education system is founded on the marxist principle of redistribution of wealth it's it's not surprising that those who run that system embrace those ideas and uh when you look at that, they want to break you into oppressor and oppressed. And the Jews are, have always been considered the oppressors, even when they were in Germany. My uh, wife's great-grandfather immigrated to the U.S. from Germany. He's Jewish. They owned a business. They were considered the oppressors in Germany, and his family was told to either get out or stay, but that you're given one week to leave. And so these ideas are fundamental to how we fund education in the United States. And so you cannot change something from within. And uh, these professors, these ideas are not surprising to me. It's super sad. Um, but as long as we let the um, Marxists determine how we pay for these things, the professors who teach our kids, who teach our next generations, are going to be uh, Marxist uh, in how they view the world. And so whether they're explicitly teaching critical race theory or not, uh, those ideas are being um, perpetrated through our uh, system of education here in the United States. So super sad. Bad, but it's a corrupt system, and uh it's not based on truth anymore they don't believe truth exists so why would you send your child to an institution for twelve years or four years uh to a place where they don't even think they can teach them truth? That's a huge waste right. of their time and energy and of course we see students rebelling against it by not going to class uh by having by being depressed um by you know just our Learning rates are so low, you know, you're more likely to get bullied or harass- sexually harassed if you go to a public high school than you are to learn to read. And, um, it's just disgusting. And parents need to wake up and make sacrifices to get their kids or get your grandchildren out of the public system and into homeschooling or into a private institution.
1: Uh, again, uh, Robert Bortens is our guest. Uh, and if you go, again, uh, classicalconversations.com is his website, the website of his organization. Um, the um, How, how uh, only a minute or two left, but how has the school, the, the, the COVID was an opportunity for so many people to make an argument like you have about homeschooling. People said, I want something different. How has the school choice movement um, played out for you? Do you feel like your homeschool communities are benefiting? They prefer not to be engaged because they don't want the how do you how do you feel about school choice and I'm sorry I've just got about a minute and a half
2: yeah we feel like it's just Uh, normalizing welfare for everyone and especially for the rich and the middle class. We've seen private schools increasing tuition. So it's an unsustainable model and just bringing more people into that Marxist mindset that uh, the government should fund everything and uh, the cradle to grave uh, support from the state government. So we reject uh, government funding of school choice. But of course, we 100% support parents uh, and their ability to choose. We just don't think you should steal from your neighbors to pay for it.
1: Well, and, and, and then the entanglements, you know, I, I'm early on in my advocacy for what I thought was, uh, you know, I do think a school choice, as you say, parents should be able to choose what they want. But uh, early on, I, I, I took up I, I was taken to the uh, to school by some of my friends who had some more years on me who said, hold on, wa- watch the entanglements, you know, and, and he, I think charter schools proved that uh, point that you had real, you know, uh, oh, this is school choice. And then it turns out, no, this is managed uh, uh, limited it's not real choice. It's kind of a, a fake, uh, a fake effort. Well, listen, thank you very much. Uh, and again, Robert Borden's uh, classical Merry Christmas to you and to uh, all your uh, folks. Happy New Year. And we'll look forward to talking to you in the new year. Merry Christmas. Hey, very good. Thank you. Well done. And we'll uh, we'll I'll put up on social media links uh, to uh, Robert and his work there. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. And uh, I, of course, uh, hail from St. Louis, Missouri, across the river, and my former boss, the late Phyllis Schlafly, spent most of her life in Alton, Illinois. And nowadays, Phyllis, Phyllis Schlafly might have been the last uh, uh, great thing to come out of Illinois. That's not fair. There's some other things, too. But there's a lot of bad stuff there. Uh, our next guest is Stephen Williford, and he is the author of a book called A Town Called Sutherland Springs, Faith and Heroism Through Tragedy. Uh, available anywhere you buy books. and go Over on Amazon, you'll see it there. And he also is a a spokesman and helps the Gun Owners of America, great group, gunowners.org. Welcome, sir. How are you?
3: I am doing excellent this beautiful day.
1: Well, thank you for taking some time for us. Um, what's going on in Illinois, uh, in terms of, uh, the law? What do you see? What's the reaction? And maybe, maybe a little differently. I, I'll tell you, I'll put this out there. Feels like, I'm not saying it's true, feels like, um, gun owners and, and the people that respect Second Amendment are as strong as ever, but quieter, it feels like. But go ahead. What's going on in Illinois?
3: We, well we have uh we wanted in a lower court uh to overturn the assault weapons ban and high capacity magazine ban as they call them right. we like to call it the sporting rifle ban because right. it's modern sporting rifles and standard capacity magazines because that's what they are the rifles meant to t- take them uh but we won it in a lower court. And right. then it went forward to the uh, to a higher court where uh it suffered a loss on a three to four uh, ruling. Decision. Right. So they said that it could go forward. Well, two of the three judges so so the lawsuits filed basically against the governor. Right, and two of the three judges they got um over seven million dollars in campaign hmm. donations by the governor and another plaintiff in the or another defendant in this case, so they should ha- two of those judges that voted to um continue with it should have recused themselves, and so we. Pushed it to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court basically, we tried to get an emergency stay because all those people that have AR 15s or high capacity or standard capacity magazines, all those people now on January 1st, if they right. get caught, they will have a felony on their hmm. record. Hmm. Well, the Supreme Court is going to hear part of that on January the 6th. We were trying to get an emergency stay against it. Hmm. Uh, the Supreme Supreme court likes to see things work through the lower courts before they take it on. Yeah. And so the Supreme court uh, basically said, no, we're going to hear something on it on January 6th and they aren't going to prevent that from being enacted before them. So Um, January one, if you have not registered your, uh, AR 15, AK 47, or anything, or your magazines, then you could be charged with a felony. And we think that that is ridiculous. And uh, we think uh, that, we're brewing, that we are actually going to get it overturned anyway.
1: So, um, is the is the in this case is is the hope resting in the federal courts? Getting to federal court to get uh, relief g- going up, when, or, or are you trapped in state court? What's the status? I mean, at that you know, sometimes as you say, the the courts will want to wait; they won't want to jump in until it's sort of run its
3: course out. Well, it's it's Illinois court; it's state court at this point. Like I say, and and two of the judges, uh, and and it. it, it Basically, they stopped the stay of it. Uh, And two of the judges, two of the four judges um, really should have recused themselves because you received $7 million for your campaign contributions right? uh, from the people that you're judging on. Of course, you're going to find in their favor because the next election, you want a, a contribution again. And and it's just really uh, it should be against the law, and those judges. To be held responsible for that, for not recusing themselves.
1: Uh, our, our, again, our guest uh, uh, with us is the author of a book, and uh, Stephen Williford, um, and of course a town called Sutherland Springs, 2017, the uh, tragedy that happened there at the First Baptist Church, um, and he's become a spokesman on this. Also, by the way, you can check out his his work uh, if you go to thebarefootdefender.com. Um, tell us a little bit about that, Stephen. I mean, you end up a very credible spokesman for
3: what's happening in part because of what happened to you. Well, in 2017, a madman came into Sutherland Springs, Texas, and started shooting through the walls and the windows of a hundred-year-old church and uh, murdering people. He he went in the front doors, shooting through the front doors, and then went from pew to pew. And I grabbed a AR-15 out of my safe, uh, and they... They're trying to say that AR-15s aren't defensive guns. Uh, I beg to differ. I grabbed an AR-15 out of my safe and I ran across the street. I engaged a shooter. I hit him six out of six rounds. He had on class three body armor Mm -hmm. and a ballistic bulletproof helmet. And he shot at me. He hit the truck that I ran behind for cover. He hit the truck in front of me, at the car behind me. And he hit the house behind me. I put six out of six rounds on him. Pam. And then I, uh, I chased him down the road and, um, where he committed suicide, I flagged down a truck and chased him 11.6 miles. He committed suicide. You can read the story and about my community on in my book called A Town Called Sutherland Springs. You can find that on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Please go to. Gunowners.org. We're the ones that are filing the lawsuits, mm-hmm. and we're fighting, and we're we're fighting for your rights to own guns to to bear arms.
1: Do you um? Do you see what I, I when I asked you that question at the beginning? It, I sometimes it feels like gun. I, I mean, gun ownership is higher than ever. There's all kinds of things, but people seem quieter
3: about it. Is that?
1: Am I misreading that?
3: Well, if if you think it's quieter, maybe you're not watching as well. <laughs> uh, we actually got uh, the assault weapons ban overturned in California, even. And um, it it's on appeal now. And so it's still illegal until the appeal is heard. We also got Prop 114 in Oregon overturned. Uh, We got a red flag law in New York overturned just recently. uh, We had a big win in the courts in New York because after the Bruin decision, New York decided that they would, okay, fine, we'll make it so hard for you to get your permit that you won't. And they tried to say that they needed five years of your previous social media Uh, so they could go through your life and decide whether you should be able to carry a gun or not. We got that overturned. We got it overturned where they were saying that you had to have express written consent by any private owned business or anything to carry within their business. Uh, We got that part overturned and we got it overturned where places of faith like churches and stuff now they can they can carry their permits in places like churches and things mm.
1: well I, I, and what and what I really meant I didn't mean that there's not working going on and Gun Owners of America is a great organization so I, I didn't what I meant was I, I actually think a lot of people are sick of uh, being attacked uh, about it you know and, and they're just going about their business they know their rights they know their you know I was at an event over in, uh, on, in the swamp and he um, even in Washington, D.C., they, they, you know, they have must issue laws as to conceal carry in, in, in the District of Columbia. And so, uh, but I think people are less, I don't know, they're not, they're not talking about it as much. They're just going about doing their business, as you say, to get things, uh, positioned where they need to, to be protect themselves and their families. So, uh, thank you for the time. Stephen Williford again is our guest. His book, which is available, uh, anywhere you buy books, you can, uh, track that down and you should. Um, he is also with Gun Owners of America. One of the, uh, the book is called A Town Called, sutherland springs by the way uh faith and heroism, heroism through tragedy uh and uh, gun owners of america you can tr- uh, go and see all the stuff they're doing gunowners.org and again at um, steven's website the barefootdefender.com thank you for your time uh, best uh, wishes for uh holy christmas and a new year hope 2024 is good uh, we have to take a break everybody we'll be right back it's ed martin here on the pro america report i'll put links to all that up on our social media i'll be right back
0: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin.
1: It's time for us to have an uncomfortable conversation about marriage and family. We need to talk about our problems, but more importantly, we need to talk about solutions. The percentage of 18 to 34-year-olds who are married today is less than half of what it was a generation ago. In liberal Seattle, Washington, it's predicted that soon the number of older teenagers and adults who have never been married will surpass the number of married residents there. Educated women are deciding not to have children at all. About 25% of women nearing the end of their childbearing age who hold at least a master's degree are childless. One of the first things we can do to reverse this trend is to discontinue our nation's culture of childlessness as portrayed by the mainstream media. However, there are also concrete policy goals that we can and should strive toward. The decline in birth rate is something that President Donald Trump and the Republican Congress addressed over Democrat opposition way back in 2017 by instituting a $2,000 annual tax credit for each child under the age of 17. But this child tax credit has fallen in real value due to inflation, and a boost in it during COVID was not extended beyond 2021. This child tax credit is paltry compared with the benefits that every newborn American contributes to our country over a lifetime. In addition to military service and other sacrifices, the average American will pay $500,000 in taxes over his life. So the child tax credit could be far higher than $2,000. Other nations have changed their policies to encourage more childbearing. Even communist China replaced its one-child policy with a two-child policy and then a three-child policy because they needed to have more children. Poland's conservative-leaning government was just ousted from power, in part because it allowed Poland's birth rate to decline to its lowest level since World War II. Our minuscule, inflation-depleted child tax credit should likewise become an election issue in 2024 as our birth rate plummets.
0: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The traditional family is the building block of our communities and country. That's why it's imperative to support strong marriages, respect fathers, and champion stay-at-home moms. At PhyllisSchlafly.com, we oppose the liberal attempt to redefine the family. To join us, visit... visit phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Hey, wrapping things up today, uh, I want to um, head us towards um, uh, 2024, make a few predictions uh, for you, uh, things to look at in particular on the legal front. Um, I have gotten a bunch of emails from folks and questions about all the different litigation and the timing of things and what's going to happen. So I'll let me walk you through a few of the things we definitely know. Um, first of all, the uh, matters that just came up in Colorado that are, that's going to be done really quickly. That's going to be something that's kind of emergency briefed, and it's going to take a week or two. Um, There may or may not even be um, uh, oral arguments. I'm not sure that they will bother with that with the time that they have, but that will be uh, handled very, very quickly. And uh, and the court will will probably have a decision probably by the first full week of January, I would think. They could even come out sort of quicker and make it just a, uh, you know, un, um a, a ruling with a, a modest statement of, of reasoning as opposed to a full opinion. Uh, we'll see. But that will be happening uh, very quickly, uh, very quickly. And um, the second one is the appeal on the um on the uh um uh, um presidential immunity and privilege claim that uh, Donald Trump made that was briefed and the brief was filed the fi- the brief by um uh uh Donald Trump was filed on December 20th now that that first brief was in response to the prosecutor saying can we expedite the treatment of this If the court says yes, and they'll do it, they'll do it based on the briefs. They'll read Donald Trump's brief. They'll have read the brief from the uh, prosecutor, Jack Smith, and they'll make a decision. They'll say, "Okay, we're going to expedite this. If they expedite it, then they'll set it for argument and it'll be an argument in the next probably four or five weeks, maybe six weeks. And they'll have to brief that. Um, So you'll set that date. It could even be in February, but it probably might be even early March. Uh, and then they'll argue that and they'll decide that it could go, it could go quicker. I guess it could go quicker, actually. Um, since we're, we're in December. Um, but, uh, that's just if they, that's just if they grant the, um, this, this initial, you're going to hear some coverage in the, the next few days of, of did the Supreme Court say yes to Jack Smith hurrying things up? Uh, if they do that, then there'll be the hurrying up of the question of presidential immunity. Is the president immune from claims of things he did in office? The other one, though, is about 1512. Uh, And 1512 is that, uh, okay, we've talked a lot about it, the um, law that says don't tamper with the evidence, uh, don't obstruct an official proceeding through manipulating the evidence, making evidence unavailable, et cetera. Uh, Oh, but by the way, the prosecutors have used that to say that gaveling out the uh, congressional uh, electoral vote count counts as an obstruction of official proceeding. They've, They've taken that case. That will be set for date, set for argument in the court for either early April or possibly the last days of March. And so then they will be briefed for the next two months. There'll be briefs filed on all different sides. Then there'll be an argument and then the court will make a decision. The second or third week of June, it will come down. So all of that stuff, which is happening in Washington, DC to the Supreme court is happening in the next four months. And meanwhile, You'll have the Iowa caucuses in early January, the New Hampshire primary just after, in early February, uh, the the uh, the um, um, South Carolina primary, and your and the Nevada. I think the Nevada is actually a primary again, not caucuses. So you you, you know that's all going to happen in the same time period. <laughs> the, the The first days of twenty twenty four, maybe the first hundred days of twenty twenty four, will be extraordinary. In fact. That's what you, that's what I should look at. I should look at the first hundred days, the first hundred days of uh, of 2024, all of January, all of February, all of March. And the first 15 or so or 20 days of, of April, that's that's going to be some serious, serious historic times in this country. What will be happening and what will be occurring in all those places, the politics of it, the media of it? I mean, Donald Trump already with the Colorado decision has raised a bunch of money. I think he's got a bunch of attention that's been perceived by uh, folks as positive. Generally, I'm not sure yet you can say that for sure. Uh, We'll see what polling shows. But I don't think that the uh, Trump campaign is feeling like um, anything other than momentum is on their side. And so that's the kind of the schedule, the first hundred days, a brief schedule, a brief sketch of the first hundred days, a lot to watch, a lot to understand, and uh, a lot we'll have to do some explaining about because uh, much of it is going to be on the fly and uh, is going to be uh, really hard to, uh, to, hard to predict, hard to predict. I One of the things that I have said, and I've heard this from uh, Nick Smith and some other lawyers is, you know, I can, I agree with it. Is the Supreme Court, to be, Supreme, Court, Supreme Court going to be less likely to do sweeping uh, to, sit, to take sweeping decisions if they if they can get away with a narrow decision on the January sixth stuff because they're already going to be so involved with the uh, Colorado and probably other places? In other words, they may be looking for ways to to diminish their role in what's happening, so it's not all about them. But let me finish with this: I believe very strongly that the left in this country and the Democrats in this country want to make the Supreme Court the bully. As part of an ongoing effort to delegitimize and to uh, and to lessen the trust, delegitimize the Supreme Court and lessen the trust we have in the Supreme Court. Why? Because when they had control of the Supreme Court, they liked the idea of make up a privacy right. We'll call it Roe v. Wade and a right to abortion. Make up a definition of marriage. We'll call it Obergefell and all these things. They liked that when they had control. Now that they don't have control, when conservatives are in charge, now they want to get rid of the the body. They want to get rid of the they want to get rid of the Supreme Court as an influencer in what's going on. By the way, I don't want the Supreme Court to be the dominant force either. I, I conservatives shouldn't want that. But beware of the left suddenly saying, oh, yeah, let's make the Supreme Court the boogeyman because they're going to. They're going to try. All right, we've got to run. I uh, want to say thank you to Ryan Haidt, our great producer for a great 2023. Also, Mason Mohan does a great job. Thank you, guys. And thank you to all our folks at the Salem Radio Network and others for helping produce things uh, this show. And thank you for listening. And we will be back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back tomorrow.